contentment. Boy, how, how many of you really feel contented this morning? You know, I, we're going to be talking about uh, being contented. And I think it's so important that we understand that. You know, I was looking in, in the uh, book of, of Philippians, and I want to go back there. Paul made a statement. And uh, in verse 11 of chapter 4, he says, Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means, and also how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having an abundance and suffering need. You know, I, I just think of that idea of contentment, wanting to be contented. And yet so often, uh, rather than, than being contented, we get what we want. We say, if I could just go on that cruise. You know, if we could just go on that cruise, so you can pick your spot. I'd be so happy. I'd be so content. I, I, I'd be where I want to be. And you come home, and you're home for about a week or so, and you go, where can we go next? You have that problem? I, I have that problem. Or I, I remember, uh, you know, I, I wanted a, a new truck. I wanted another truck. And so I was going online, and I was looking everywhere, and I was going to different car lots, and I was looking to see what was there, and I got my truck. And I like my truck. It's a good truck. I really like my truck. But, you know, it's sure easy to look it around. Another guy just went by in a Ford F-250 or whatever, and I go, oh, boy, that's bigger than mine, you know, or whatever brand it is. Wow, if I could just have that. And, and we seem to have this mindset that we get what we think we need, and it isn't very long before we're wanting something else, and we're not really content where we are, and maybe not content with what God's given to us. I, uh, there was a, a cartoon that was out years ago. And it was in the newspaper. And it showed these two pastures. And, and those pastures were beautiful. They were manicured. They were green. Uh, the grass was luscious. It was fantastic. And right down the middle between the two pastures was a uh, three-strand barbed wire fence so that you couldn't pass easily from one pasture to the other. But they were just, one was just as good as the other, one was just as green, one was just as, as lush as the other, and in each one of those pastures there was a mule. And each one of those mules had their head through the barbed wire, and they were eating grass from the other side. And it wasn't long before they got their heads caught and they couldn't get out. And at the bottom of that cartoon it said, Discontent. Not content. The grass is always green around the other side of the fence. If I could just have what that person has or uh, uh, acquired, if I could just get it, boy, I would be so happy. We're studying the 10th commandment this morning. If you have your Bibles, turn to Exodus chapter 20. If you would like one so you can follow along, we're going to hit a few verses, not a lot. But if you would like one, just raise your hands and we'll make sure that you get one. Uh, turn to Exodus chapter 20. It is the Second book in the Old Testament, and you go to the 20th chapter, we're going to be looking at the 17th verse. Now, I know that my, uh, ver my pages aren't the same as yours, but if you have a little Bible like mine, it's page 66. 
Uh, most of you don't have this, so that doesn't do any good. But uh, Exodus chapter 20, verse 17. This is the last of the Ten Commandments. It says, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. His house is bigger than mine. His house is prettier than mine. He has a better yard than I do. I, I wish I could have his house. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife. I'm not going to go into anything there. You shall not covet your, his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. You know, we, we think of that word covet, and we're going to come later, and I'm just going to talk about the opposite being contentment because I think that's the real positive. We are to be content in what God's given to us and uh, appreciative for all he's given us. But co covetousness, uh, just to define it, it, it's not necessarily a negative or a positive word. We think of it as a negative word, but you can covet things that are positive. You can covet good health for yourself or your family. You can covet salvation for those that are close to you or spiritual growth for those that are special to you. There's nothing wrong with that. That's a positive side of covetousness. That's a uh, covetousness we could define as a strong desire to acquire something. And that's basically what we've done with the, the definition today, the desire to acquire. It's not wrong with that. But, but as we look at our study this morning in this verse, it's taken in more a negative context. It isn't just dealing with the sense of my word or deeds, but it's really going to the, to the heart of my evil desires what I desire for myself, what's going to make me happy, what's going to make me satisfied. And if it's what the other person has, then, man, I've got to get it. Even if it means taking that away from somebody else. It's a, a wrongful striving after what's not yours, lustful thoughts, wanting your neighbor's house or your neighbor's wife, it says, or his maid manservant or his maidservant or his donkey or his ox or anything else that your neighbor may have. And, and I have to admit today, you're probably not going to get uptight about your neighbor's ox or donkey, are you? Uh, those aren't real big issues for us today. But there may be other things, and, and, and probably not even their manservant or the maidservant. Uh, we probably wouldn't want to pay what they had to pay anyway. And uh, yet, uh, there may be a desire... You know, I, I want to have somebody clean my house. I want to have somebody take care of my yard. Uh, look at the neighbors have that. Why do they get that? It's interesting. One man said this about the economic situation in America. Uh, America is a little different than most of the world. It said, America is the only land where a woman will hire a babysitter to come in and sit with her children so that she can go do volunteer work at the daycare center where her sitter leaves her children. Oxen and donkeys and maidservants and manservants, they, they were really an evidence of, of wealth in the age when this was written. And so we're talking about individuals who had prosperity, individuals who were rich. Um, and I'm sure that we all kind of understand that. Um, being consumed with wanting the belongings of the other person, whether it was his house or his spouse or whether it's his car or bank account or his position or the authority he has, or, or whatever it is. It's whatever belongs to that neighbor. And uh, we talked about neighbors last week. You remember neighbors? It's anybody we come in contact, basically. Uh, it's pe 
people that live in America that have more than I do. It's that, that 1%. If I could just have what the 1% has. And, and in fact, I think not too long ago, it wasn't that I necessarily wanted what they had. I just didn't want them to have it. And so we, we are consumed with what others have. It's that desire to acquire. And we live in a society that encourages that. In fact, our society functions, our culture functions best when people are spending money. You ever notice that? We want people, the consumer, to be out there spending money because the culture or the, the uh, economic status of our nation will be better off if people are buying. And so it's a billion-dollar industry to get people to buy. It doesn't matter whether it's on television or a magazine or you pick it up on the web. There are advertisements all over that entice you to go out and get something, whether you need it or not, because it'll be good for you. Because you really desire to have that. Uh, even at work, there's, there's those promotions. The idea that if I work really hard at work, I may get a bonus. Or I may get a promotion. Or maybe they've got a prize out there. If you really work hard at sales or whatever, they're going to give you a wonderful trip. And there's nothing wrong with promotion. There's nothing wrong with incentives. I don't have a problem with that unless they take us away from some of the more important things like our families and our friends and serving and knowing God and spending time with God. It's amazing how many people will say, I just don't have time to read the Bible. I, I just don't have time to pray because they're so caught up with trying to acquire something else. And it becomes part of our life to do that. They sacrifice the greatest good for something that's secondary. Back in the book of Colossians, Colossians, the third chapter, uh, the first and second verses, let me read them to you. It says, therefore, if you've been raised up with Christ, and the idea is that you have, if you have a relationship with him, positionally you're with him in heaven, it says, keep seeking the things above where Christ is. He's seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on the earth. Don't allow earthly things, is what it's really saying, to consume you. Don't allow them to be the issue for why you live or how you live or what you do. In uh, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 5, another verse, it says, For this we know with certainty that no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater. And so all of a sudden it begins to relate this idea of coveting things to idolatry. It says they become so important that they in essence become your God. It says no such individual has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God because those things have become more important to them than God. If you go back to uh, Matthew chapter 6, it says uh, seek first his kingdom. That's the key, that the priority is right. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And then it says all of those things that you need, the important things that God says you need, all of those things will be added unto you. But it's setting our priorities on God first. It, it, it's not the things of the earth, those things that we tend to covet. And so what, what we see here as we look at this is that truly God does want to bless us. 
He wants to meet our needs, but he, he can't do that effectively if we're seeking everything else, if we're putting him second, and he isn't a priority in our lives. I, I think of when Joshua and the children of Israel went into uh, the promised land, and God says, you know, I'm going to give you I'm going to give you cities that you didn't build. I'm going to give you homes that you didn't construct. I'm going to give you uh, vineyards that you didn't plant. I'm going to give you all of these things. But as you go in, you need to put me first. And, and he, as they were coming to the city of Jericho, he says, I don't want you to take anything. It is all to be dedicated to me. You aren't to steal anything. You're not to get anything individually. You're to, to give it as, as a blessing to me. And they went in, and there was one man, and uh, his name was Achan. And Achan looked around, and you know, I'm sure as he came upon that bar of gold that he saw, and he saw some silver there and some other precious things. He was probably looking this way and that way. This is probably one of the first cases of shoplifting in the Bible. And he was looking to see who saw him, and he scooped it up. And he took it, and he buried it in his tent, and God's blessing was removed at that point from the nation of Israel because one man thought he could get away with something. He probably thought, well, go, nobody's going to see, but God did. Chapter 6 of Joshua in the 18th verse God gave them this instruction, but as for you, only keep for yourselves from the thing, only keep for you, I'll get this right, but as for you, only keep yourselves from the things under the bands, so that you do not covet them, and take some of the things under the band, and make the camp of Israel accursed, and bring trouble on it, and that's exactly what Achan did, and it goes on over to chapter 7, verse 21. Achan had done this, and they confronted him ultimately, and he says, I saw among the spoil the beautiful mantle of Shinar, and 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold, 50 shekels in weight, and I coveted them. There it is, that word, covet again. I desired them. There was an intense desire. I had to have them, and I took them. Behold, they're concealed in the tent inside in the earth inside my tent, the silver underneath it, and the punishment came. You see, he missed out on God's blessing because he coveted something so much that he had to acquire it. And he went against the will of God. The entire nation of Israel experienced the conviction of God. But I, I would ask you today, you know, some people say, well, God just isn't blessing me. God isn't meeting the needs of my life. God isn't caring for me. I, I, I don't have contentment. I'm not really happy. And I would, I would ask you, what is it that's consuming your mind? Is there something that has become so overwhelming that that's basically what you think about and what you can acquire? That's where it is. That's what it's talking about here when it's talking about covenant. And you see, we become so consumed with that, whatever it is. It may be something physical. It may be a position, it may be power, it may be authority, it may be someone else. But when we do that, we forsake our time with God. We don't spend time with him truly in reading his word and 
worship and prayer. And even when we sit down to do those things, our minds tend to run off to the things that we covet. And so we have to stop and evaluate our own lives and say, why is it that I don't feel the peace of God and the contentment of God? And sometimes it's simply because we've got our priorities out of whack. They're not where they should be. So we have this desire to acquire. But let's take it a step further because if you go back to our passage, it says that we are not to covet our neighbor's house. We're not to covet something that belongs to someone else. Somebody uh, once said, most of us won't be content with what we have until we have a whole lot more. And, uh, you know, we've talked about wanting the things that we can get, but what about our neighbor's things? What about our neighbor's house? It doesn't even need to be the house in your neighborhood. Maybe it's, it's, it's down the street or in another part of the community. Uh, we're not to covet our neighbor's house. You're not to covet your neighbor's spouse. Boy, I just had her. You know, and we may even begin to put down our wives or our husbands in our minds, and we may even verbalize that at times because, oh, man, if my wife looked like that, I'd be so happy. Or if my wife cooked like that, I'd be so, ooh, dinner would be great. If my wife organized like that, Think of what the home would be like. Oh, man. Ladies, if my husband looked like him, if he worked around the house like him, if he did all those little jobs like him, boy, we would have such a happy marriage. And it's easy to begin to covet somebody else. It's just that idea of of compassion looking at, at, at someone else and comparing them and saying, well, yeah, if I had that. And uh, you know what? When we covet somebody else's things, it affects us negatively with that person because all of a sudden we don't like them very much. We don't have that same relationship with them anymore. Uh, we, we want what they have. I, I believe that most wars in the 20th century were fought over what somebody else wanted. Hitler looked and he said, I'm not satisfied with what I have. I want to have Europe. I want to have the world. And we had a war. Vietnam, there's an area that's very rich, the Mekong Delta down in the south, and they grow a lot of rice. And for well over 100 years, the north and the south have been fighting. We're fighting over the Mekong Delta. It's really probably what that war was about. Communism was there, but it was more likely what they'd been fighting about in a civil war for years. There's a book by, known as The Rendezvous with Destiny, and I read it in college, I remember, and it just talked about how that war had been going on for more than a century. And, and it was because somebody had something and somebody else wanted it. Uh, the Gulf War. Saddam Hussein thought, wow, I, I, I've got 18.8 million people, and little Kuwait over there only has 2.1 million people, but they got a lot of oil. I want that oil. And a war began over it. You see, it's that, that issue of coveting. That's on the large scale. But when we do it in our, in our minds, it's on the smaller scale. I, I, I think coveting in, in pro sports, wow. Don't you think they covet? Second string, coveting, first string. I'd just like to start. I'd like to start them. I want to be number one. 
I, uh, I think of a number of years, a few years back, uh, the 49ers had a, a quarterback that I happened to like. His name was Alex Smith. And uh, Alex Smith was doing a good job. He was committed. He was caring. They were at the top of their division. And he got hit in the head, and he had a concussion. And so he said, man, I've got concussions. The, the word was that you had to step out. You couldn't play the next game or so if you had the evidence of a concussion. He stepped out. Kaepernick came in. And Colin Kaepernick did uh, a credible job. And the coach, he really thought he was great. <sighs> That's what we want. And you want to know something? This quarterback who had been so committed and so faithful no longer had that position of leadership in the team. And they traded him the next year, and he did very well uh, over in Kansas City. Went a lot further than the 49ers were in the next couple of years. But I would imagine Colin Kaepernick was sitting there. He was a rookie, and he thought, I would love to be first string. I want that position that Alex Smith has. Now, he isn't going to tell everybody that. The news doesn't want to hear that. But can't you imagine down in his heart about the time Alex Smith got hit in the head, Kaepernick was going, yes. I probably would have. Because he wanted to start. He wanted to be in that position. And, and I would imagine he was looking and coveting that. Someone else's spouse talks about that, coveting someone else's wife. I, I like a past, what this pastor did. He started out, he, he began to share with his congregation one morning with this statement, there's a man among us today who is flirting with another man's wife. Hmm. Unless he puts $5 in the offering bag, his name will be read from the pulpit. Like that? Yeah. Well, when the offering bag came in, there were 19 $5 bills. And another $2 with a note attached. The other three will be available on payday. I got to tell you something. I, I don't think there's anything wrong with admiring a person. Uh, maybe the opposite sex. She's a lovely person. She's, she's good looking. Or for a, a lady to look at a man and say, wow, he's good looking. Or, you know, the lady, she's well organized. She's a great hostess. Or a uh, guy works hard. But it's when we begin to look at them with the desire that we want them. That's when it changes. We can look at people and admire what they do and who they are. But when you begin to flirt with someone, even, even those subtle advances that come in, and you begin to compare your spouse with that person, maybe try to undermine the relationship. That's why it's important to have that proper relationship with the husband or the wife or the spouse you're looking at. I think that's where the, the key comes. Uh, Jay Kessler made a statement in a book years ago. He said, one way to avoid coveting another person's spouse is to see that person in contact. Uh, men always look at the woman in relationship to her husband. So... I always see them as David and Karen, uh, David and Laura. Uh, you look at them in context with the spouse, not separate. Uh, and, and when you do that, you, you say, wow, he's my good friend. I couldn't do anything to hurt him. I wouldn't want to hurt the relationship there. And so we see that relationship in the context that they have become one in Jesus Christ and you keep it there. 
not separating them. That's why it is so easy in a work context to find immoral or improper relationships. Because when you get into the work context and you go into work in the morning, guys, you don't know her husband. Ladies, you don't know his wife. And you just see the person. And then you can be drawn to that person and drawn into an improper relationship and and it's not right. And so we need to see them in context of who they are to their spouse, to their family. Uh, We need to see them in a different way in relationship to us. If you go back to... uh, the book of First Timothy chapter 5. I really think this is kind of what Paul was saying to Timothy in the fifth chapter, first and second verses. He, he made this statement. He says, don't sharply rebuke an older man, but rather appeal to him as a father. You see him as your dad. You don't see him as some guy out here that you really could care less about. To younger men, you see them as brothers. That family relationship. To older women as mothers... To younger women as sisters, in all purity, Timothy, keep it there in that relationship. It isn't that you don't have a relationship, but you need to keep it in in a positive relationship, a family-type situation, so that you don't have that feelings towards him or her. You aren't coveting somebody that's not right. Well, as I said before, coveting is, I think it's the opposite of contentment, and uh, You have to have that idea of what contentment is. Let me just share what contentment is not, okay? It it isn't the absence of ambition. When I think of contentment so often, or we think of contentment, I've got an old dog at home. His name is Gibbs, and uh, he was named by my wife because she likes Gibbs on NCIS, although you have a good attitude towards Gibbs, right? Oh, yeah, okay. So anyway, Gibbs, you know, he comes in, and it's cold outside. Do you know what Gibbs does? When it's cold outside and air quality is such that we can do it, we have a fire in the fireplace. And old Gibbs just goes and lays down. He doesn't have a care in the world. You'd say, well, that's contentment. Well, it is for Gibbs. But I think for us, it doesn't mean that we're just going to lay around and not do anything and be satisfied with where we are. I believe with contentment, there can also be ambition. I think of the Apostle Paul. I read this passage a little while ago when we got started, but with the Apostle Paul, he was probably one of the most ambitious individuals that I know of in Scripture. He was first committed to destroying the church, and then when he became a Christian, he was destroyed. He was committed to building the church, and that's just where he was. And yet in jail, in Philippians chapter 4, and I read it a few minutes ago, it says, Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I'm in. I know how to get along in humble means, whether I have very little. I also know how to live in prosperity. He grew up in the lap of luxury. He says, in any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having an abundance and suffering need. Oh, he says, in in these situations, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. I can be content no matter what the circumstances are. I, I believe a contented man is, is grateful to God for what he has, not what he doesn't have and what he wants. One person said, happiness is not having what you want, but wanting what you have. The man 
worship and he thanks God whether he's blessed with a little or with a lot. And you can probably just go home today and sit down and begin to write down the things you're happy about. My health, my home, my family, my forgiveness, my salvation, the promise of eternal life, my ministry, my job, God's continuous presence. It's, it's the fact that we have a gracious God that gives what we need. And are you thankful for what he's given you? Or are you always looking for something you wish he would give you? It's being content with the blessings God said. Another thing about contentment, if you want to be content, don't have what you, hold on to too tightly to what you have. Don't, don't squeeze it tightly. Job was the, uh, probably the richest man on earth at the time when Satan went to God and said, let me just mess with Job a little bit. And he took away everything Job had. And Job made a statement. He said, naked I came into the world and naked I go out. He was saying the things of this earth are nice, but they're not essential. And they aren't the basis for my contentment. God gives and God may take away but we're thankful for what God is and what he's done. You know, when I was, uh, Ron will relate to this well, a number of years ago I took some, some lessons, some golf lessons, and the first thing they did was teach me the grip. You got this, Paco? Okay. And, and he laid the golf court club here, and he laid it here, and then he got the V's coming up at my shoulder, and then he said, oh, by the way, Andy, don't squeeze it too tightly. Hold it loose because the golf club won't work if you're holding it too tightly and your swing won't be right. And so you hold it loose. How's that? Does that look good? Yeah. Uh, whew, don't want to fall over. But I want to tell you something. That's the way it is with our stuff. Because when we grab onto it too tightly, we get it and we hang onto it too tightly. When it's removed from us, it hurts. And it's destructive, and we get caught up with that. Covetous man is one who always wants more. And when he gets it, he holds on to it tightly. I can't lose it. I, I think of the people that have lost their homes in, in the fires, and they're devastated, and I feel for them, and I hurt for them. And oftentimes they've lost things that are special but you know most some of them I hear simply say they're they're hurt they feel the pain but it's tough and their family's okay and they're going to rebuild and it's all right and others are so devastated they feel they can't go on because we hold on to stuff so tightly sometimes and we have to be able to just let it go there's a man by the name of Thomas Keeley. He, uh, he studied mythology and uh, fairies and gnomes and all those kind of things. He was in Ireland in the middle of the 1800s, uh, actually born in the late 1700s and then on. And he wrote about a peasant by the name of John Wilde. John Wilde offended the fairies. Fairies were living in, the, in, in burrows below his field and he 
He caught one and he stole the glass slipper and the fairies were offended and they were angry and they came and said, we want the glass slipper back. And John Wilde said, okay, on one condition, that every time I plow, you'll put a coin in the furrow where I plow. And the fairies said, okay, this is not a true story, folks, but this is one that he wrote, okay? And the fairies said, okay, and so John gave them back the slipper and he plowed a furrow and it was nice and straight and long and sure enough, there in that furrow was a coin. And he plowed another furrow, and there was another coin, and another one, and there was another coin. And he began to think, how can I get more coins? And he didn't ever let anybody around when he was plowing, because he didn't want anyone to know that he was getting these coins. And then he began to make shorter furrows, and there were still coins in the furrows. And then he began to go from dawn until about midnight. He was out there plowing, and each furrow he plowed had a coin in it, and he would take the coin home. And, and what it did, because then he would count his coins at night. He put them in two large chests. And he was getting rich. But no one knew. And it isolated him from his friends. It isolated him from his family. Until as he got older, he grew sick. He was torn torn he was tired out he was worn out and one day he died his family went in and his wife found those two chests they didn't know the money was there they lived in the lap of luxury and they had such a great time but John Wilde never enjoyed what he had he had no happiness no contentment while he lived because he was covetous John D. Rockefeller made a statement once. He was asked how much money was enough, and he says, oh, always just a little bit more. I believe it was Harvard that did a study on how much people felt was enough, when would they be rich, and it was always just 10% more than what they had. You see, we, we live in a society that cultivates covetousness, and we forfeit contentment because we become so caught up with what we want to have instead of being caught up with the person of Jesus Christ and what God's given to us. It's really a thing that we need to be thankful for what God's given to us and happy with what we have. It doesn't mean that we stop living. It doesn't mean that we stop acquiring. It's just that we keep it in context. I... uh, one last statement, I've, I've had young people in their, say, 20s, even 30s that have talked to me about, if I could just find the right person, if I could just get married, I would be so happy right now. And, and, and they're not happy where they are. They're not satisfied with where they are. There's not a lot of contentment in their life because they need to have that person. And you know what I've seen over the years? This is an issue of covetousness. Do you know what I've seen over the years? If you're not happy before you get married with who you are, you probably won't be happy afterwards either. And it all goes back to that issue of covetousness versus contentment. Are we willing to be contented with what God's given to us? Or are we always striving for more and it consumes our time and our hearts and our thoughts and our minds. Let's pray, shall we? Father, um, 
I think most of us desire contentment. We want to be contented in life. We, we want to be satisfied in life. We, we seek that. And yet too often we have caught up with what the world says. The world says if you acquire just a little more, then you'll be content. If you acquire just a little more, then you're going to be satisfied. And, and we know that's not true. If we're not satisfied and content in you, Father, in your Son, Jesus Christ, Father, we're not going to be satisfied and contented by the things we acquire either. And so help us to be satisfied with your blessings, what you shower upon us. Let us experience your blessings, Father, in a, in a very special way in our lives, whether we have a great deal or we have very little. Help us to be content. Thank you, Father, for the Ten Commandments. Thank you for the direction they give our lives. We look at them very often. We say, well, these don't relate to me. These really aren't for me, and yet each one is. And so often we have in one way or another broken them. Forgive us for that. Help us to focus on what's right and wrong and, and how to deal with it and live lives that are pleasing and honoring unto you. You are an awesome God. Thank you, Father. Thank you for your love, for your care. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.